0: Welcome back to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a personal finance blogger here in Aotearoa. And in this podcast, I chat with a diverse bunch of people and I learn their story and I condense it down into an essay so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and their point of view on personal finance in New Zealand. Now, I just loved creating today's episode and I hope you find it as motivating as I did In early January, I was lucky enough to have a long chat with Grace, who is now in her late 20s. She wanted to keep her anonymity, so that's not her real name. But Grace has been following my podcast since 2019, which is when her money journey did a sharp U-turn as she moved out of about $40,000 of consumer and education debt and onto a new path of saving up to buy a home by the age of 30. Listening to money stories on this very podcast from people all across our motu gave her ideas of where to start, because for her, this whole money thing was pretty overwhelming, so hearing from others has been imperative in helping her plot her own path. Now before I crack into the episode, let's hear from my fabulous sponsors, Pocketsmith. When I first started to get interested in understanding where my money came from and went to, I meticulously noted each transaction in a spreadsheet. While a good place to start, I was short on time, and that practice lasted one month at best. Enter Pocketsmith. It helped me quickly automate my finances, which saved a ton of time. I like to explain Pocketsmith to people by saying it gave me the data I desperately needed to understand my money. I no longer have to compile that data, it does everything for me. Pocketsmith automates financial management by connecting to your financial institutions, such as your bank, for real-time transaction updates. Plus, it offers budgeting tools, cash flow forecasts and net worth tracking, thus eliminating the need for manual spreadsheets. Thank goodness. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, have we got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's foundation plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Grace grew up in rural North Island, New Zealand on a small 100-acre farm close to a small city and surrounded by much larger and really affluent sheep and beef farmers. It's only when she reflected back on her upbringing And talked with her parents, that she really became aware that there was a lot of money floating around in these households. Her dad worked full time in town as a sales consultant, and her mum ran their household and spent a lot of time ferrying Grace and her sister to every horse riding event that they could find, and her brother to his sporting events. Growing up, although it was never spoken about in her whanau, she had the sense that money was tight, as her parents worked hard to pay their mortgage. She knew that her parents were selfless, giving them an idyllic childhood in many ways and putting everything they could into their kids so that they could follow up their passions, namely horse riding, leaving little for themselves. Come the weekends, unless they were at a horse riding show, everyone mucked in around the farm and she remembers a time around 2008 when New Zealand went into recession and money got super tight at home meaning that her mum had to go out to work as a cleaner of homes in the area. And she noted at the time that her friends' mums didn't have to do this, giving her some inkling into money differences between families. When it came to the holidays, Grace and her siblings would go and help her clean so they could chip in in some ways in return for all the costs of keeping their horses fed and shod. Now, like many people I speak with, Grace was taught to save from an early age. Although she didn't get pocket money, she was still encouraged to save any birthday money she received and to get a job as soon as she was able to. While Grace was in high school, she embraced the idea of her parents that you could do anything you wanted if you were willing to work for it. So she babysat, she milked cows for the neighbours and eventually she worked at a local pub. A great saver, she had no trouble saving all of her money and she got a real kick out of seeing the funds grow. Now I asked her what her parents taught her about money while she lived at home. Now it's pretty common for me to hear this that one of the key lessons was not how to save up and pay cash for things but instead how to manage debt and pay the debt off. So the main thing she remembers from her parents was to take advantage of interest-free deals when you are buying things. Now this advice has actually ended up having both a positive and a negative effect on her money journey. Her mum showed her that she only bought one item when it was on sale and she paid for it using old-school lay and then interest-free store cards once they became available. So if the fridge needed replacing, she would buy it using an interest-free deal with the store. Money was tight, so shopping this way helped them manage cash flow, meaning smaller weekly payments being made instead of one large expense. They never had more than one or two of these expenses on the go at a time. But as I'll explain in a moment, Grace doesn't think she interpreted their lessons the way that they intended and I think that in many ways times had just changed, debt became a whole lot easier to access. Her parents encouraged Grace and her siblings to work hard at school, eventually head into tertiary study and to strive for scholarships to help pay the way when you get there. So this is what she did. But when she got to year 13 she had no idea what she wanted to do so she thought to herself well I love the land so she headed to university and studied for a Bachelor of Agriculture. Fortunately, she applied for and was granted a few scholarships. One was spread over three years, giving her $5,000 in her first year and $1,500 for years two and three. It was a kind of woman in agriculture scholarship, and Grace said that there are so many up for grabs if you just go searching for them. She received another $3,000 from a local company that wanted to encourage local tamariki to go to university. Part of her was still very cautious with money, she was wary of debt and was keen to live within the income that she made, so she also worked while she studied, which is a critical move if you want to keep your student loan balance low, or preferably have none at all. Now during her first two years she worked in a bar three nights a week, and during each holiday she worked full-time on a dairy farm close to her parents' home. In her third year, she was sick of working in hospitality, so she got a paid job in a research lab at university, which also fitted in well with the course she was taking. Now, all the money she earned at uni, she saved, and then she used it to pay her way during the year. She also got a small student allowance. She said it was probably about $80 a week. And in this way, apart from taking on a student debt in her first year to partially cover her hall of residence costs, she avoided drawing course related costs on her student loan for the remainder of her study. She remembers watching a lot of her friends borrow money on a student loan that they then just blew on socialising. She knew she didn't want to do that to her future self and now when she sees young people getting drunk using student loan money, she has a lot more comprehension that they are going to spend the next 10 years paying off this night out. She did, however, borrow for her fees and all up she finished her study with a $20,000 student loan. I asked Grace if she had any advice for those heading into tertiary study. Mostly, she said, just be aware of the massive drinking culture at university and how you propose to pay for it. You do want to keep up with your mates and enjoy yourself, but look past Saturday night and look to your future. You have to pay that money back. At the time, it doesn't feel like you have to, but you do. So drinking cheaply at home would be her advice. And even while at uni, she set herself some fun money. But once it was spent for the week, well, the partying stopped. Straight after she finished university, she applied for a working visa and immediately moved to the UK for an OE. And this is where her mindset made a dramatic shift from saver to spender. She was constantly told by people to get over there and enjoy herself. And people were telling her, you are only young once and before you know it, you'll be back at home. Three kids and will be a slave to a mortgage. You only live once, so go and live it up. So that's exactly what she did. She made the most of it, and that change in attitude was what would soon lead her into debt. She worked on a farm in the UK and found a really cool group of friends. No one talked about saving. Instead, they spent every cent they earned seeing the sights of Europe and grabbing any fun opportunity that presented itself. And apart from making minimum payments on her student loan back home, which barely made a dent because of the interest she was being charged, she was living paycheck to paycheck. So she had the time of her life and she has no regrets, except maybe one. Looking back, she thinks to herself that she still could have saved if she had have tried, because she was making enough money to do so, but she chose not to. There was no emergency fund. No, what if something happened and she needed £300 fund and she just lacked the foresight that she actually did have when in New Zealand and was surrounded by whānau overseeing her actions in a way. So those basic money skills of saving, they all went out the window when she was let loose. She had started to feel like an adult but really, she said, she still had a lot to learn. In 2017 and almost 22 years old, her two-year UK visa it ran out and she moved back to Aotearoa. Despite leaving New Zealand with, I'd assume, only a backpack, she spent thousands of dollars to transport all the stuff she had accumulated home with her. By now, she had a lot of farming experience, and she took up a role as a herd manager on a dairy farm in the North Island, earning about $50,000 a year. And of course, one of the perks of working on a farm was that her housing was supplied, meaning that she had very few expenses. But when she got back, she also had no money, not a cent to her name. Just a debt of 20 grand on the student loan that at least now that she was home would stop accruing interest. She had no furniture, no car and nothing to fill a house. So this was when she was encouraged by her well-meaning parents to get her first credit card. Now her parents were in a stronger financial position by now so she went car shopping with her dad and he paid for a $6,500 car for her and they came up with a contract for her to pay them back at $300 a fortnight, and they even charged her 3% interest. Now, I struggled a bit here as I was writing this up because inside my head, my brain was shouting, what on earth were they thinking? If someone I knew said to me, hey Ruth, I've got no money, and I actually owe $20,000, but I've just scored a job paying me $50,000 a year, can I borrow some money? I'd say, no, you are completely broke, and more debt is actually the last thing you need. You can borrow a mattress and a bicycle until your first pay comes in, and then you can go out and you can buy your own stuff secondhand, I might point out, until you start to receive your first paycheck. Instead, and unfortunately, in my view, Grace started taking on debt in anticipation of that future paycheck, and she didn't stop doing that for the next couple of years. And that's where her problems really began. Now that she had a car to drive and a $300 a fortnight payment, She went with her mum to Harvey Norman and she picked out a brand spanking new fridge and washing machine. And her mother asked what interest-free options they had going and they offered her a Gem Visa credit card. Now in the back of Grace's mind was that this was simply the modern day equivalent of the lay-by that her parents always used. You pay it off a week at a time and she could manage that. So the full implications of what happens if your interest-free term expires never really sank in. Now, out of interest, I went to the GEM website. And if someone like Grace was standing at the Harvey Norman checkout today, signing up for a new washing machine, what you could easily overlook, although it is no doubt written in the small print, was the $55 establishment fee, the $55 annual fee, and the interest rate of 29% if the interest free term expires and you still owe money. Plus, if you want to get some cash out on your card, There's a 30% interest rate for that, plus a $2 fee. So this is why credit cards are a trap for so many people, and they should be avoided. We all start out with good intentions, but not all of us can adhere to them. Now her family gave her a secondhand lounge suite, a spare bed that they had, and she picked up some cutlery from a second-hand store, and she moved into her new farmhouse, and then hung out for that first paycheck. It duly arrived, and her payments began but so did the constant stream of mail from the credit card company offering to extend her credit, given she was such a great customer. It wasn't long before she felt that her bed was just too old, so off she went and she bought a new one using debt. But a brand new bed, surrounded by old furniture, well, it doesn't look that great, so back she went for some updated furniture. It became a downward spiral, she said. She was no longer buying things out of necessity, She instead started buying all the stuff that sounded or looked good instead. Now when the relationship she was in ended, she was devastated, and she decided that a five-star, ten-day trip to Indonesia was going to fix her broken heart. The travel agent didn't accept her GEM credit card, but they did accept a different type of credit card, a Q card. And no one wants to travel alone with a broken heart, so she paid for a friend to go with her, and she put the whole trip on the card. She had missed traveling, and they had a great time healing her broken heart. In 2018, in the winter, she was feeling a bit sad again, so she quit her job and she moved down to the South Island, taking up a position as second in charge on a large dairy farm. When she had to save, she still had it in her to do so. She would even diligently write down her income and expenses in a notebook, and the moving company wouldn't accept credit card. So she saved up the four to five grand that she needed to move all her stuff south. Her new employer contributed about two grand towards these costs and they paid for her flights down. And they installed her in a new two-bedroom home on the farm and free rent was part of her salary package. She was paid $80,000 a year plus a phone plus an electricity subsidy to help out with a southern winter power bill. But that old lounge suite of hers was too big of a pain to move south with her and buying something new would cheer her up, so she put a new sofa on the credit card when she arrived. So why did she need cheering up? Well, this new job came with much more responsibility than she had ever had before. Plus, it took her away from a lot of the day-to-day farming that she liked to do, and more into managing the diverse range of people who were drawn to farm work. Her colleagues were no longer her mates, there was that degree of separation now, and that led to her feeling burned out some days and sad and lonely on others. And she fell into a bit of a pattern. When she was sad, she would spend money, and it would give her a burst of happiness as it's designed to do. And when the blues hit, she just couldn't help it. She went shopping. All the while, she was keeping up with the minimum payments on her credit cards, and once those were done, any money left over in her bank account felt like spending money. So that made it easy to save when she had to, but it also made it easy to spend when she felt like it, and she often felt like it. On reflection, she said, her spending was very excessive, and as she joined each new lending scheme, which was Gem, Q-Card, Genoa Pay, Afterpay, etc., no one explained to her that these companies banked on you spending more and more and more, and much to their delight, she just couldn't see that for herself either. On her days off, she drove to her nearest city and went shopping and it always made her feel better. And she loved walking in the door at home with shopping bags full of goodies. Lifestyle creep is 100% a thing, Grace said. Her choice of store also moved from shopping at the warehouse to shopping at Max, Witchery, Seed, and exclusive department stores. One particular day in 2019, she walked past a sign at a travel agent advertising an American Kentucky tour that happened to be on sale. Well, she was still living the YOLO lifestyle, and it sounded like a lot of fun, so she walked in, booked it, and put the entire cost on her cue card, interest-free, apparently. She went on the trip and had the absolute time of her life, and although she had saved some cash prior to going, well, she ran out rather quickly, so she started using the many credit cards that she had in her wallet and racked up some pretty hefty bills. Regardless of the exchange rate, she said that she just spent and spent with no thought to how she would pay it back. Now, on reflection, having the time of your life can get a bit excessive. She did every activity, got drunk every night, and spent money like it was water. And back from her holiday, and now aged 25, she went back to work, but she felt lonely and isolated out on the dairy farm. She said as much to her boss, so they increased her income to $95,000. But money doesn't solve everything. And for the first time, she began to pay interest on her debts. She had previously thought that if you made minimum payments, well, you don't pay interest, but when your interest free period expires and you have not paid the purchase off, you sure do. And if you can recall what I said earlier, interest rates are shockingly high. So for the first time, she felt guilty about coming home to such big bills. She started to realize that if she continued to behave this way, She would never get ahead and never be able to buy a house, which is something that she had in her mind that she would do by the age of 30. Around that time, she had been entering dairy industry competitions, and part of these events was a financial aspect. After all, you need to be a good money manager to run a farm and own a farm. And her boss at the time was an ex-banker, and one day he asked Grace, So, how are you doing financially? And she said, well, that's a bit rude. It's actually none of your business, but I'm doing all right. Well, he pushed on and he asked her, what are you thinking about achieving in your career in dairy? And her reply was that she didn't think she would ever have the money to get into ownership or anything close to it. And he said to her, but you are paid $95,000 with pretty much no expenses. You should have money. Grace said that those words felt like an attack. As I was listening to this, I thought, bang, he hit the nail right on the head with that comment. She was 25 years old, and she thought she was doing okay until now. And the truth hurts sometimes, I'm afraid. And this conversation came right at the time when she was already feeling nervous about her credit card debt. But he pushed on, inviting her to come and have a beer with him and his wife and have a chat about money and where she might want to go in life. And I just loved that he offered to support her in this way. So basically, they had a big korero. And she verbalized the fact that she wanted to buy a house one day. When asked how she was going to make that happen, she said that she would use her KiwiSaver. Well, they pointed out that she would need a lot more than that. So how much cash did she actually have available, they asked. And the answer, $100. She earned $95,000 a year. Yet, she only had $100. Now, I've had uncomfortable conversations just like this many times where I've been the person to kind of lift the hood on the financial engine of someone's life and often the car might look shiny and bright on the outside, but it's running really badly once you lift the hood. So, I was unsurprised to hear that Grace was not entirely honest during the chat. She alluded to the credit card debt, but didn't want to say just how much because in all honesty, I doubt that she even knew at that time. And to her, that omission was enough of an indication that she felt shame around the debt. So she walked away from that chat with her boss and his wife saying something had to change. Now, listening to her story, I can't understate the courage it took for her to acknowledge that to herself. It is a huge turning point. Now, a spark had been lit and she started to search for information. She found this podcast and also Mary Holmes and she started listening to stories about other people that she could relate to. The podcast that she had listened to, and her boss and his wife, had all recommended that she set up an Excel spreadsheet and write down every single thing she spent money on in the last three months. Each said to spend normally, but just note down every purchase that you make. She did that, and then started adding up each category of spending, and she felt physically sick. And she was horrified at what she saw. There was almost $40,000 of debt in total. $18,000 of that was credit card debt spread across her three cards that she had been making those minimum payments on. And she had many buy now, pay later schemes as well. The transactions that racked up the debt were actually so long ago that she really had no idea what she had even spent most of her money on. And it had taken her about 18 months to accrue $18,000 of debt. Half of her paycheck was now going towards these debts, and she was still not managing to pay them off, due in large part to the high interest rates and because she kept spending. Plus her student loan, which she had been making payments on as 12% was taken from each paycheck, but it still had a ways to go. She had fallen into the habit of paying some of her debt down and then maxing it back out again, and to her, that kind of felt like the point of it all. There was available credit that she was encouraged to use, and there were constant emails and letters in the post from all of the debt-spruiking companies telling her to use it, so she did. And in the eyes of the companies, she was a top-class consumer. Every occasion in the calendar prompted an offer, Easter, Christmas, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, even Waitangi Day was used as an opportunity to encourage spending and something in her gut told her that this was a pretty crappy tactic that they were using. Interest-free on purchases over $50 enticed her to the shops or online, and she made sure she spent over $50 to get the great offer. It was just so easy, she said. It didn't feel like you were using real money. Statements that arrived by email never got read, and the promo letters in the post kept on arriving every couple of weeks. She started thinking about the future and that she wanted to buy a house one day and was thinking that it was never going to happen if she continued to spend like this. But she also saw what a lot of money she owed and she thought how on earth could she ever pay that back? It all seemed pretty hard to comprehend and I can kind of understand that. She was barely making minimum payments so how on earth could she get on top of those minimum payments and more? Now I love this next bit because I'm a person who spends $40 on a haircut every six months, she would have her hair cut and coloured every six weeks to the tune of four dollars to $500. She used the now defunct Genoa pay for that bill and they would auto-increase her limit. They cut your bill up into 10 weekly payments, meaning that by the time her next appointment was due, she was still paying off that last haircut. She paid a monthly membership fee at a beauty clinic and she paid for that on a credit card. But the thing was, she would have her hair done, and then people would comment on how great she looked, how happy she looked, when she knew on the inside that she wasn't happy at all. But it was nice to hear the compliments. It was nice to feel that she had tricked her mind into being happy for five minutes. But all this was about to change, because the spending had to stop. With her three months of expenses now written down, she then looked ahead. She created a budget for the next six months. And she didn't spend any money at all on anything but the basics. A cold turkey reset of spending. Game on. Now, I absolutely love this shock tactic strategy because it really does work. She adopted the avalanche method of getting out of debt. She listed all of her debts from the largest down to the smallest. She made minimum payments on all of them except that largest one. And then with every paycheck, she paid as much off the largest as she could until it was gone. She then closed that account, which was an effort in itself because obviously these companies really, really didn't want to lose her. Then she moved on to the next one, and the next one. With the closing of each account and watching the debt she had dropping, she could feel herself getting lighter and happier. She broke up with her hairdresser and unfollowed her on Instagram, and she silently wept as she did so, she said. And her hairdresser was like, why? And when Grace explained that it was because she was in so much debt, they said, oh, but you always have to have something for yourself. You must treat yourself. So despite the fact that Grace had just disclosed the fact that she was borrowing money to have her hair cut and colored, they tried to get her to stay. Now, this reaction amongst associates and friends was actually quite common, and she began to hate that kind of manipulation that kept people like her broke and in debt. She also got over her pack-and-save phobia and broke up with New World. These days, she spends about $80 a week on groceries, which is incredibly good buying if you ask me. She cancelled her home internet and she used her workplace plan instead. And whereas she had been flying home to visit Farno and friends every three to four months, this was expensive, so she cut back her flights to cut costs. In many ways, she said she became a bit of a hermit and she didn't go to town unless it was absolutely necessary because she had the very real fear that heading to the mall would kick her into her old habits again. She avoided the shops like a gambler avoids the casino, like an alcoholic avoids a bottle store. This was just the reset she needed. None of this trimming cost bull crap. Nope, she was all in. And what this did was show her exactly what the bare minimum was that she could survive on. She was taking home 2,800 a fortnight, she increased her employee KiwiSaver contributions up to 10% to get money diverted away from her spendy self. If she didn't see it, she couldn't spend it. And her 12% student loan payment also kept coming out of her paycheck. Amazingly, she worked out that she could get away with living on, wait for it, just $400 a fortnight. Once she had locked in these costs, she then set herself a weekly buffer of a little spending money just to loosen the pressure on herself a little. Now, whereas she used to spend whatever was left over on buying consumer goods, all that leftover money, about $2,400 a fortnight, now went towards debt. It took her about one year to pay off all of her credit cards, all of her afterpays, and her student loan, but by March of 2020, she was debt-free. So all up, it was about $38,000. Did she celebrate this momentous feat? Sadly, no. With a goal now in her mind to buy a house, she simply moved on to the next obstacle in front of her, which was saving up a decent house deposit. Now, she regrets not pausing to celebrate, failing to acknowledge the fact that a huge change in mindset was a big deal worth acknowledging. She had been following along with Dave Ramsey, and I fear that she would have been an excellent contender for his debt-free screams on a show. Now, during this whole mission, she came to the realisation that farming wasn't actually what she wanted to do anymore. So in late 2019, when her debt was down to around $12,500, she applied to join the New Zealand police and let her workplace know that she would be leaving at some point. She also started to contribute $20 a fortnight to Sharesies and she started to experiment and get a kick out of watching her money grow and collect dividends instead of paying out interest. Right at the end of her debt payoff journey, COVID hit and she lost her job. Yep, life happens sometimes. Because she had plans to leave anyway, just as soon as the police college called her up, her workplace let her go early so they could replace her and get some stability in these unusual times. So she quickly saved up another six grand and moved herself and all of her stuff back to her parents' house in the North Island. Now, the timing was terrible with level four lockdowns creating mayhem and the cost of the ferry tickets soaring, but thankfully, she had heard many people say that you need to have three months of expenses set aside as an emergency fund. She had done that, so I was so relieved to hear that getting back home was her concern, not how she's going to pay for it. And she still keeps three months of expenses in an emergency fund today. In June or July of 2020, she was lined up to go to police college, so she stayed with her parents and continued to live very frugally while she waited. But then all college dates were cancelled due to COVID with no idea of when they'd start up again. So she had to go and get a job and she landed a receptionist job on just above the minimum wage thinking it would only be for two to three months. Well, it ended up being 18. So that sucked at the time and she said it was also super humbling. She kept saving but was unable to save like she had been but she never lost her ambition to buy a home of her own. She paid rent to her folks, but it was a bit of a token attempt, and she was just really grateful that her parents let her live there so long. It was their way of giving her a leg up and into her second career. And finally, in late 2021, she went to police college, which is just north of Wellington. Her starting wage while at college was about $1,600 a fortnight after tax, plus they paid 7% into a superannuation fund, which she matched. Plus, she also kept paying 10% of her wages into her KiwiSaver BNZ growth fund. She put her head down, worked hard, saved as hard as possible, and kept building up her nest egg. And when she graduated and went to work, you also get allowances for shift work and for various things, which tops you up a few hundred dollars a fortnight. Then she has also received a 2% pay rise each year. And when her and I spoke in January of 2024, She had been working with the police for just over two years and is now earning $80,000 a year. The New Zealand police force is full of career opportunities and Grace has taken the advice that her parents gave her when she was young. Take every opportunity. So she is busy upskilling and training for future roles with her mind firmly set on becoming a detective as soon as possible. So with her career underway in late 2023 and before the age of 30, she achieved the big goal that she had set for herself. Using some of her KiwiSaver, some of her police superannuation fund, plus saved cash, she put down a $90,000 deposit on a two-bedroom property that she paid $390,000 for and she moved into her own home in late 2023. Anything is possible if you want it badly enough. She has a mortgage rate of 7.09% fixed for 18 months plus an offset account that holds her $10,000 emergency fund. She didn't drain her retirement accounts entirely, which I was very pleased to hear, instead leaving $10,000 in her KiwiSaver and $5,000 in her police superannuation fund. She keeps her contributions at that higher level and she said that these accounts will quickly build up again. Now her advice to others, the police and the armed forces, they offer really good superannuation schemes worth taking advantage of. Now her sharesy's journey stalled when they put the fees up, plus she has been picking individual companies and the majority of them actually had performed terribly it turns out. I was not surprised to hear that her two ETFs, which is the New Zealand Top 50 and the US 500, had fared a lot better. So that money sits there for now without further contributions while she decides what to do next. She didn't want to sell and lock in her losses, but sometimes some companies will they never stage that comeback that you are hoping for I'm afraid, Grace. Instead, she has turned her investing attention to Colonel, due in part to their podcast It's No Secret, because it gave her some good information during this journey. She has already invested almost $10,000 into a few of their funds, but she said she feels a little overwhelmed by the options that all of these platforms offer, and my thoughts on that are to choose just one or two large, low-fee, passive ETF or index funds and just run with that. By their very nature they are well diversified and are far more likely to grow over time than investing in either individual companies or niche funds. Her mortgage is currently at $295,000 with $10,000 of that being in an offset account so she pays interest on $285,000 of that amount. Cash in hand after super and Kiwisaver payments she makes about $1,800 a fortnight and when the first mortgage payment came out, she found it really depressing seeing her $951 fortnightly payment go mostly towards the interest on her loan with a mere sliver of principal being paid off. Seeing 50% of her take-home pay going on her mortgage has meant that now she is settled into her new home, she would like to have a flatmate join her and would use this rent money to increase her mortgage payments even further. Now, where Grace once felt out of control with her money, now she is anything but. In many ways, she has just returned to the disciplined teenager and university student that she once was. Her remaining income is divvied up to pay for food, utilities, gym membership, which is her one luxury, and some fun. She sets aside $150 a fortnight for dining out, for drinks and takeaways, and much like when she was a student, when it's gone, it is gone, and if she doesn't spend it all, well, she lets it build up. And with a long weekend on her horizon when we spoke, these days she is saving up in advance for a trip away, not putting it on a credit card and wondering how she will pay for it when she gets back. She doesn't track her earning and spending in a spreadsheet or a notebook these days. It was something that she could work on, she thought. But she has different bank accounts and sinking funds for a variety of things she knows she has coming up, and she has automatic payments into each of those. If she finds her checking account a little low at the end of a pay period she will go back and reflect on where she spent the money and adjust as necessary and this seems to work for now. Having experienced lifestyle creep firsthand she can spot sloppy spending a mile away but I do think that it's something worth keeping an eye on in the years ahead. I was so pleased to hear her say that she is now in a better emotional state, she is happy and she has a good financial setup. The need to spend to make herself feel better is pretty much non-existent. She is so stoked to be where she is at at the age of just 29. She was really sick of hearing that you needed to have a partner in order to buy a house and that home ownership was impossible on one income. She worried that she was going to be penalized for being single. But by coming on this podcast, she's wanting to show others who are single that if you want a home, if you are prepared to put in the mahi, and change a few poor money behaviours, well, yep, you could do it too. It might be a stretch in Auckland, but in smaller cities throughout Aotearoa, yes, it's still absolutely possible. Next, I asked Grace what her five-year vision is. Well, the house is a fixer-upper, and she expected that to be the case, but her intention is to save as hard as possible and cash flow any renovations that she decides to do, all while paying as much as she can towards the mortgage, She wants to own her house debt-free as soon as possible, and I cautioned her to stick to that goal and not become like so many people I meet who drag a mortgage around with them for the rest of their lives, continually dipping into it for holidays, for cars, and particularly for house renovations. She wants to continue to advance her police career and perhaps move overseas at some point, and if that happens, she wants to either have her house paid off or be very close to it. She also wants to continue to invest as much as she can into her retirement accounts and index funds. I wondered how conversations with her friends go now, given that she has pivoted from a farmer with fabulous hair and makeup who was always up for shopping and travel, to a police officer who now has a house and a mortgage to pay. There are certainly some friends who encourage her to splash out on herself like she used to, regardless of the cost, but she explains to them that having the perfect highlights in her hair and the perfect appearance, is just not high on her priority list anymore. And when she explained to one friend that she had bought a house, the friend thought it was completely impossible, and it led to them having a good chat about the journey that she's been on. And Grace said that she detected a glint in her friend's eye that meant that she might have been, for that friend, what her old boss and his wife were to her, someone to speak a few truths into the situation. She's also lucky in the fact that she can chat money with her siblings really openly and they each bounce ideas off each other. Sounds like they are not always great ideas, but it sounds like there have been some lively debates at times. And as long as they're talking about how to grow wealth and live a good life, well, I'm pretty happy. And if I were to ask her what she considers to be her biggest financial triumph, it was 100% paying off the debt in a year. She is super proud of having done that. And can I just chip in here and say how pleased I am that she included paying off her student loan in that debt snowball. So many people don't consider it a debt at all, and I think they are misguided in that view. And her greatest financial flop, well it has to be that American holiday that she bought and the sheer amount of money she spent without giving it a second thought. Or a second flop could be the thought that she probably spent close to a house deposit over the years trying to be blonde. I did the math, and at $500 every six weeks over a five year period, that's $22,000. It's a shame she has joined a profession that will give her grey hairs, but she is making do, she said. And if she were given $10,000 right now, what would she do with it? She might spend $1,000 on a new oven and put the remainder straight on her mortgage. And I hadn't asked this question for a while it was what was the most extravagant thing you have purchased for yourself in the last 90 days. For her, it was a pair of new shoes for the gym. She got them on a 50% off Black Friday deal and she got them for 140 bucks. And going back to her mum's advice of buying on sale all those years ago, well, I think she would approve of her daughter's wise purchase and the fact that she got a deal and she paid in cash. As for resources for others to follow up on, I've already mentioned a few, but others are Mary Holm, she found her at about the same time that she found me, and also The Ramsey Show. She said that his TikTok is quite good, as in a three-minute segment, he talks to someone and quickly gives them a plan to budget their way out of debt. I actually think that Grace is the perfect example of why Dave Ramsey's advice works. He's not everyone's cup of tea, but when life felt overwhelming, he gave her a place to start. He says that when you are in consumer debt like she was, you eat rice and beans and you spend nothing while you clean up your mess. A lot of people don't like that advice because they simply don't want to sacrifice that deeply. But grace shows that it actually does work. Now, before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from today's sponsor. If your finances are holding you back from living the life you want, try Pocketsmith out. They've got the tools to help you make money management easier. And have we got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's foundation plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the Happy Saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the Happy Saver. Firstly, let me just say a huge thank you to Grace for sharing her story with you and I. I'm so grateful that she did, and I think that it's a story that so many people will be able to relate to. Thinking about Dave Ramsey for a moment, we both agreed that there were aspects of him that we just didn't gel with, but his vehemence of pushing back against the rhetoric that the little girl or the little guy can't get ahead, it really rings true for Grace. She didn't come from a wealthy family. She was single and making under $100,000 a year, yet she decided to try anyway. Instead of wallowing in, poor me, it is impossible for me to buy a house. She completely mucked up taking on credit cards and afterpay debt. But thank goodness, once she realized her mistake and the path it was taking her on, well, she arrested her descent into even more consumer debt. Once she was shown how she could make her way out of it, she just absolutely went after it. And I just love that she went all in. I'll often say to people when it comes to debt, not to muck about, just get up and smash it in the face. Well, she absolutely did that. And then feeling so much more confident in herself and just happier in general, it was not a big leap to shoot for the next goal, which was home ownership. So if you are out there listening to this podcast, ask yourself where you want to be in five years and get educated about your money, change your career, stop buying rubbish you don't need and realize that you and you alone do have what it takes to reach out and take what you want in life. I just loved chatting with Grace and I hope that you feel as motivated by her journey as I do. So that is all for me this week, another long episode. I failed once again to make it short, but if you want to get in touch with me, you know you can find me at thehappysaver.com. Thanks to all the lovely people who send me such nice emails telling me that you like this podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do that. And please do share it with your friends. It is the best way that people can learn about the podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and Farno and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.